or you're, you have so many plans, you know, but God has a greater plan. Yes. You know, and his plan is going to prevail. doesn't matter what you do. And that, to me, a lot of people have anxiety and anxiety is for the future. Depression is for the past. Yes. That's just a, a general statement. But understanding that because God has control of the future, anxiety is gone. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the podcast, The Better Man with Dr. Jared Nelson. I am your host, Dr. Jared Nelson, where you can never be perfect, but you can always be better. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Ethan Heaty. What's going on, dude? Uh, not much, not much. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we have a lot of history. For sure. Uh, we're roommates in college, a lot of stuff. So <laughs> this is the way I start the conversation. Uh, you're in the gym. You, you uh, share a machine with a guy. You're like, hey, what do you do? So somebody asks you, what do you do? If somebody just asked you that randomly, how would you start it off? So we're going with like our elevator pitch. That's it. Right, elevator right. pitch. Awesome. awesome. Uh, so I am actually a PhD chemist. Uh, I just finished my postdoc at the University of Alabama. I did my PhD at Auburn University, which was fantastic. There, of course, with anything, you have your ups and downs there, but wouldn't change any of it for the world because it's taught me a lot. Um, as far as what I'm doing right now, I am actually in between jobs. We're looking for that big boy job that I put in the 12 years of college for so, 12 years, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. been a journey. It's been a journey. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, just kind of in the transition period of life right now. Sweet. Happens to everybody. Uh, but yeah, transitions are good. Sometimes it's necessary and we're about at that age, you know, trying to get stability. You're 31. 31. 31. Yeah, I'm 31 as well. Kind of get that stability. I did a lot of travel nursing, stuff like that. Now I'm back home as well. Mm -hmm. Just wanted stability, stuff like that. So it's about that time. So our life is roommates. We got a bunch of stories, (laughs) uh, a lot of good stuff. Uh, We went to Jacksonville State University. Go Gamecocks. I was only there for two years, 2012 to 2014 in Jacksonville, Alabama. Uh, but had a great time there. Really enjoyed it. For so sure. what was your overall impression of Jacksonville? How did you like us being roommates? What was your overall impression? Overall impression. I, I absolutely loved it. I think like when coming out of high school, everyone, especially in the state of Alabama, you know, everyone's like, I want to go to Alabama. I want to go to Auburn. And luckily being on the other end of that, going to gra- like, I, I was blessed to go to grad school at Auburn. So mm-hmm. with that, I was able to see kind of behind the curtain of that and seeing, the class sizes of some of the courses that I struggled with at Jacksonville, especially, believe it or not, having a PhD in chemistry, I struggled with chemistry courses. Like those were not easy, especially the first ones. They're, they are essentially chemistry one and organic one are meant to be weed out courses. They mm-hmm. want to make sure that you've got one bright people taking these, like learning to get into these specialized courses, but two, a lot of, of medical, uh, medical field and, and stuff like that definitely use uh organic chemistry as their weed out course and like any pre-med everyone wants to be a doctor not everyone can make it through organic chemistry and that is just a that's just a tough cookie to swallow the same thing in nursing everybody's like i want to be a nurse anesthetist and you (laughs) you got to get through nursing school first man then you got to practice uh there's there's a huge line and yes you need long-term goals but man you got to get to step one two three for for sure sure, for sure that's a lot of people tend to put the the cart (laughs) before the horse with some of that stuff and i mean Shoot big, because I mean, what what is it? Shoot for the shoot for the stars, or shoot for the moon? You land somewhere around the stars. I know, but um, it 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 is a big ask, and just depending on, like I said, one thing that I noted is that had I taken some of those courses at Auburn, 
I would have sunk like a rock. Mm-hmm. Like it would not have not have turned out the way that it did here. And right. not everything was perfect at Jacksonville by any means, right. but I having such the smaller class size, like I think my general chemistry course at Jacksonville was 120 people. Mm. At Auburn, the smallest general chemistry course is 240. Mm. And it's it's and there are probably 20 different sections per uh, per semester. So it's just like there are tons and tons and tons of people and there's only 19, 18 professors and not all of them teach the same way. So if you happen to get stuck in a class that's not your teaching style, well, it's either you need to adapt or you're going to you're going to waste a lot of money there. It is tough. You see a lot of people go, like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, to Alabama. You go to different big colleges, Auburn, uh, UAH. Well, UAH is a little bit smaller. Oh, yeah. but, UAH. but a lot of big colleges, you see students go off there and then it's like a semester or two later, they're back they home, just, you know, going tank. to Gaza State. And there's nothing wrong with Gaza State. I went to Gaza State for two years, actually, right out of high school. I did a year. Right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that with a community college, at least starting out. Now I have my doctorate. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, starting out small beginnings, there's nothing wrong with that, in no, my opinion. Not at all. Not a at lot all. cheaper and everything like that. Um, school as a whole, uh, your college experience, how would you say that? When, I didn't do a lot of partying and stuff like that, which I was in nursing. I didn't really have time to. But how was your overall experience in college? With that? I, well, once again, as as you can probably relate, I actually kind of followed a girl to Jacksonville. So uh, that not not that that was bad, not that anything I would change anything of true. how it how it how it went down. But it's just like instead of uh, I was trained to the pedigree of places as going through my Ph.D. because it was all about, oh, well, this person went to Berkeley. Mm. Oh, this person went to Stanford. Oh, this person did their Ph.D. under Dr lights and sirens at this place doing this thing and we want him like we really want this person to work in our group you know right. so you you tend to be more aware of the pedigree and like i said love jacksonville but it doesn't have a pedigree when it comes especially when it comes to chemistry sure so that that was something that was interesting and it was like i i i don't think there's anything wrong with like i i got an education the same as the next guy the same as the guy from stanford my degree says the exact same thing as his it just exactly. doesn't say stanford at the top it says jacksonville state university exactly and i can almost promise you i'm not as in, in as much debt as they are right exactly. now so like i it's it's all a priorities game, I guess, if you will. But I think it depends on where you're at, where you're going to go. I would say the majority of places, schooling doesn't matter. The degree matters more than what For school sure. you went to. So sure. like maybe some huge or specific areas they might care about where specifically, uh, but I but I really don't think so. I don't think it matters that much. All they're going to look at is what degree you have specifically. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's it's really. In some ways, it almost might, like, especially for graduate programs. Once again, I can I can speak for days on this because, like I said, I got to see behind the curtain a little bit on how these processes work. But it's almost to the point where they'll, like places like Auburn or Alabama or these bigger colleges that pull in graduate students for their chemistry department program, they will like pull all of these big places first, like the the, the schools with pedigree. But they've also got a list that they're like, okay, well, we also uh, it's not the only thing I can think of is like we we've we've filled our big school quota and now we have to fill our little school quota just so we're not playing favorites and like essentially I think that's one of the things that kind of helped me you know get into Auburn if you will because they were like okay we filled our big school quota 
Now oh. we need to kind of look around at some of our smaller schools because it is a later in our a little bit later in our application process. So right. I think that might have almost helped me a little bit. Right. That's great, man. Uh, so uh, roommate stories. I shaved my head. Yes. I, I tried to I tried to save money on a haircut, dude. College is rough. Let me just tell you, especially when you're. I wasn't working at the time too. I did odd end jobs just to make cash, stuff like that. Well, I mean, nursing school is pretty pretty high volume. Yeah, I so mean, a lot of people work during nursing school. Hats off to the people that did in my class. That was insane. Yeah. But uh, just did odd end jobs, stuff like that. But yeah, I want to save money on a haircut, man. Shave my head with beard trimmers. I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a uh, little little longer than what it was, and I was like, "Oh, it's because there's such a difference." Like there was my long hair, and then to my scalp. Yep. The night before an ex- uh, a presentation, actually, had oh, I, I, so I didn't. I didn't know that detail. It was, I did not know that detail. It was, that in a, makes it was it in so a, much better. It was in a summer class, and uh, you know, I walk into my presentation in front of all the students, and they're like, "What happened?" So I was like, "Don't ask. Just don't ask." <laughs> Very embarrassing moment, but uh, something I'll never forget for sure. Oh, for sure. Every once in a while, I don't know where the picture came from, but it always, <laughs> always around. I can't remember if it was June, July. It's right when the heat wave usually hits Alabama. Yep. I get this picture pop up where you're bent over a um, like a sink and you're trying to get the back of your hair, and it like there's two or three spots that you just completely missed, and yeah. that that gives me a laugh every year. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I had to get the guys to help trim it up and, and make it all even. It was it was not fun. But going back to grad school. So we are both uh, grad school graduates. Yes. You have your PhD. Correct. I have my DNP. Uh, so a lot of people say that grad school is more of like a jog, not a sprint. It's all about uh, being able to withstand oh, for you sure. know, the time. You for know, sure. in, a, in a bachelor's program, stuff like that, it's like you're trying to get it done. But grad school is just kind of a different pace. Kind of explain the difference between the bachelor's program and then grad school, kind of what the differences are there. Ah, okay. So definitely bachelor's program, you were just trying to get a taste of all the flavors of ice cream. Right. And uh, by, uh, by the end of that, you should know, I like my cookies and cream ice cream with a little bit of sprinkles on top, i.e. I loved chemistry. So like I knew mm-hmm. that chemistry was where I was going to go. Uh, but then you get to the end of end of this and you either are like, I need to figure out how to transition to the workforce with just a bachelor's in chemistry, which is very, it's doable, but you tend to only get like technician jobs. Mm-hmm. So not, not fantastic paying jobs, if you will, that's a, you don't go into chemistry with this. You have to have the love for science, mm-hmm. like definitely have to have the love for science, love for discovering, love for research. Because essentially, at that point, you either need to say, I'm going to go do work for someone else that has a PhD, or I'm going to figure out a way to get a PhD and have people work for me. Mm. And that's kind of the way that that was introduced to me when I went on my interview at Auburn after I had uh, applied, got my acceptance letter. I had to go meet with the department staff and stuff. And he looked at me and I had originally actually um, applied for my master's and I got accepted for my master's. And he sat me down. He goes, he goes, so can we in any way make you change your path to want to do a PhD? And I was like, well, explain to me what the difference is. I need to understand why I would want to add years here and what the benefit is for it. And he goes, do you want to work for somebody or do you want people working for you? Mm. He goes, do you want to be leading the research or do you want to be doing someone else's research? And I was like, well, of course I want to be doing the research. I want to be the head of the ship. I, I want to be able to, you know, discover that next big thing or, or make this next 
ingenious discovery or at this time, I think it was uh, his name, Sir Fraser Stoddard had just won the Nobel Prize in chemistry for making little like microscopic machines. Oh, so wow. like, I mean, it's it's really cool stuff. If you if you if you ever get a chance, go look at like the last four or five years of of uh, Nobel Prize in chemistry. They're mm. they're truly remarkable discoveries. Mm. Uh, but it's like, OK, that's at the forefront of your brain. You're like, well, maybe one day I can do that. You know, right. and of course, like always, always keep that dream in the back of your head. But like, it's just I, I was almost a little infatuated with that. And then I was like, I think I can do that. Mm. I, I, but once again, I'm early in my career. Like, really, I'm considered a, an early career scientist. Sure. So, like, oh, yeah. I literally my two years out of a PhD. So, I'm a baby. I think that sometimes, like, man, I've been through so much. But we're we're 31, dude. We got, I know. We, we, we got a lot. Out. When I talk to my dad, is 70. <clears throat> he's like, "You're just starting out." I'm like, "I don't feel like I'm just starting out," but apparently we are. Oh yeah. Uh, so in the nursing spectrum, uh, bachelor's is very rigorous to me. Uh, it's kind of a weeding out process. You talked about that earlier in mm-hmm. bachelors. They early on in the program, they're getting out the people that don't really want to be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it is definitely tough. Graduate school for me was easier. I don't know if oh, see, for sure. I, I practice is sure. three. I practiced three or four years after graduating. Mm-hmm. Then I went back. A lot of people in nursing that you can go directly into a graduate program as soon as you graduate a bachelor's program, which I think is weird i think you need to practice as a nurse that's my opinion i mean that is a big part of it if yeah. you can't get the people part of it down there's not much point exactly in- how can you be a graduate a master <laughs> of nursing if you're not good with you people. never you've never nurse. you've exactly. been a nurse how is exactly. that impossible but uh practice for three or four years and then graduate school to me was not that tough uh just more of just a jog man instead of a sprint just for sure for sure being consistent you got to get your work done on time you got to go to clinical you got to do all this stuff and um, but yeah, PhD versus DMP. So you have your PhD, Correct. which is more practice or more doctorate re- of philosophy. There you go. More yeah. research base for sure. So a PhD in nursing is kind of different from a DNP, which is a doctor of nursing practice, <laughs> which is what I have. A DNP is kind of more practice based. Gotcha. So it's more, but you can still do stuff leadership wise. It's kind of like what you said, masters versus doctorate. Yeah. You want to work for somebody you want to be. So the doctorate can kind of get you in avenues of leadership uh ceo potentially the future stuff like that Mm -hmm. just gives you more of that research base so you can do a lot more things and so that's kind of the difference in the nursing thing yeah for sure and i guess uh, also actually i have a question for you about that so uh what are your thoughts on burnout in grad school because that that was that was a trigger word for for a lot of stuff that was a phenomenon i wish i knew what it was but it was like the first semester of grad school it's kind of like imposter syndrome almost oh gosh like you shouldn't be there oh yeah excuse me like you shouldn't be there like um i don't don't know specifically what it was i wish i could remember it but um yeah i mean i definitely think it's it's valid for sure oh imposter syndrome is a huge thing i i still have moments of of imposter syndrome and i have my phd it's like did i did i really do all that did i actually like am i a qualified scientist do i on paper look exactly the same as someone else that that did all the same stuff that i did sure and it's just you I think there's part of it that you always kind of second guess yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that you mentally have to exercise not to do, but it, 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 it's almost a rite of passage for grad school. It's, well, bringing faith into this a little bit, we're both Christians. We'll get yes, into that a second, yes. but I think God ordains your path. Um, well, for sure. You know, many times in my life I had plans. I had things I wanted to do, avenues I wanted to take, and uh, that didn't work out. And I and I'm glad that it didn't. Looking back, I'm like, you know, 
God always works it out for your good. You know, those are believers, Christians and stuff like that. If you're with him, uh, you may not understand, you know, and sometimes when I get down, I'm like, I'm not even qualified to do this. God has put you there, you know, no matter where you're at, you know, God has ordained your path. He's put you on this place for a reason and you need to be uh, accepting of that and really try to believe that. But it is hard. Oh, yeah. you know, those thoughts come in sometimes for sure. Faith is not an easy thing. Faith, it, faith, kind of coming full circle to your to your workout workout stuff here. Faith is a muscle that needs to be trained very regularly. That's very true. That's very true. That's a <laughs> so, good point. And I mean, it's I I I agree with that one one hundred percent. I the one way that I was able to combat this this imposter syndrome was the fact that I knew that God had put me there for a reason. He had opened doors that shouldn't shouldn't have happened right. like the way that i got to auburn is nothing short of a miracle like right. absolutely god had his hand in every every facet of every step of that process because like i i was in the span of getting accepted with two weeks before the or two to three weeks before the semester started wow. i was able to find a place to live move down there and get everything in order for me to be able to to just kind of walk right in and be a grad student. Normal would take months probably to do oh, that. There were people that that had their confirmation to go there seven, eight months in advance before wow. they had graduated. And I was just like, uh, unfortunately, my approach was a little bit odd, but I was just kind of like, I don't want an adult yet. What's something else I can kind of do? Yeah. Grad school. Hey, more schooling. It's I know how to school. I've go. done schooling for a long time. Can't enough. take it away from you. That's the thing about education. It's not for everybody, uh, but they can't take it away from you. Nobody can. That's sure. the beautiful thing about education. Let me ask you this. I asked this on a previous podcast. Uh, school, college right out of high school. A lot of people take breaks. Some people go straight through. I went straight through. I didn't take any breaks. I, I didn't did take too. any summer classes. Um, but for people that don't know what they're going to do, you know, that they're in life, they get a job, they start making money, they start even advancing. I had a guy that is advancing in his job, doing really well. What is your opinion on taking college classes? Could that hold you back? Do you think it could be a waste of time? What's your opinion on that? I Once again, it's situational. I think yeah. I think definitely if, if you're looking like – there's nothing wrong with trade. You can make lots of money doing, uh, what was it? What was the one that I saw? Underwater welding. Like yeah. wel- a welder, you can make a lot of money and have a very successful career. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it's like if you're doing underwater Hard welding, work. you're having to, that that's a lot of stress that I wouldn't want to deal with. Yeah. But if you want the paycheck for it, I can promise you it's going to be a very hefty paycheck. Mm-hmm. But it's, it depends on the situation, you know, if you need to go, if you're wanting to just get out and work and you're burnt out from school, find something that you love to do. Find something that can support a family. Find something because at the end, especially speaking as as a man, that's kind of the, the thing that you want to be able to do is always provide for your family because right. like it's it's that part it's it's a natural drive i think in every man mm. is to be be the provider and i think that's part of the way that that god set a family up is is not to, not to take away from what what women wives women do but it's it's almost not not to sound misogynistic either but in my mind there there is the hierarchy that's kind of set up that the man is the man is the provider the woman is is the is responsible for for the child rearing almost not that it's like you need to be stuck there women can have successful careers and be mothers right men can have successful careers and be fathers and i think i don't think that they're separate entities at all i think each piece is meant to 
almost hook together and work in this perfect, perfect, like circular type setup where it each piece propels the next piece. Well, roles aren't mutually exclusive, yeah, like for you sure, said, for sure. and it's not misogynistic. Um, for Bible believers, that's just the way it was designed. And yeah. like you said, the interlocking people call it masculine, feminine. It's the same principle. It's all the same principle. Um, you know, where a man's supposed to go to work, a woman helps uh, raise children, creates a home environment, stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean a woman can't work. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean a man can't help create a good environment in the home, help raise kids and all that. But there's certain roles that are designed based upon our, you know, masculine, feminine, however people describe it. It's all the Unique same qualities of each one. Exactly. You, you were put together for a purpose. And embrace that. I think some for people sure. try to fight that and try to be something they're not. Um, be yourself. If those are your qualities, do it, man. Oh yeah, you for know, sure, for sure. Within, within and a family, and kids need both. Kids yes. need that. Yeah, I was about to say, just because you are the you were the breadwinner, you were the person that was, that's bringing home the bacon, if you will, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you were able to disconnect. Uh, like I, your your children can learn just as much, if not more, from you. Seeing you, how you work well, how you carry yourself, how you interact on a daily daily basis that's right and i think that from that you were able to see especially in in me me personally the way that my dad carries himself in in the big things and the little things he has such a servant's heart he Mm -hmm. has so much so many characteristics that that i i strive to have you know it's and and once again it's a continual journey but ultimately i think first and foremost you've got to you've got to work on your own relationship with god in that and Mm -hmm. then everything else falls into place that's right that's right he gives you those desires you know for sure um you know the desire of god's heart for sure uh going back to my dad too you talked about your dad uh yeah my dad's 70 military background was your dad military no he He didn't fire but he's a fireman he is just a fireman just a fireman an engine weenie if you will an engine weenie yeah (laughs) so we'll go ahead and shift to that talk about fatherhood uh what our parents were like my dad as i've explained before is military father kind of a more strict household here's what you do you do the right thing you work hard you become successful you do all that how was your upbringing with your father and how would you describe that as all? I well, to be completely honest, my dad is probably one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Like I there is no one that I would like to sit in a room and people watch with than him because his sense of humor is my sense of humor. Yeah. And we can just uh, there's something about the the shenanigans that we we can do together that just it's it's pure comedy i love mm, it and i like my relationship with him is wonderful and growing I, up with him was it more of a strict environment more how would you describe the environment for you i don't think i had like a lot of leeway in a lot of stuff but mm. i don't think i was like you like 8 a.m to 9 a.m is this 9 a.m to 10 a.m is this like i we had our rules and i'm very much a rule follower like that that mm. is something that has been instilled into me but uh I don't think I had an overly strict, strict upbringing, but at the same time, like he wasn't, everything didn't go. We definitely had things that we were going to do and things that needed to be done. Sure. And that also came from my mother as well. She played a huge part in that as, as kind of making sure that, that things were like, you had X amount of time to do these things if you wanted to get them done or if you needed to get them done in this time frame, and you agreed to do them in this time frame, they better be done in this time frame. So, um, it's, it's a, 
not too strict, but not not willy nilly, if you will. I, I don't think it was for me either. I think we de- I definitely grew up uh, with both of my parents. You know, you make good grades, you do the right thing. But I still got to sleep in on Saturday morning. Oh, like, for sure. Oh, working for up sure. at seven, doing uh push ups, military drill. It wasn't like nothing yeah. crazy, but it was definitely you had the expectation. You know, you're going to live right righteously you and to do be the productive. right thing. Right. You are uh, not going to be a sloth. Not be a full, all-time consumer. You can yeah. consume, but you're also going to be a producer. Yes. You're always going to do stuff uh, yes. and live righteously for sure. So that's awesome with your parents, man. Uh, changing gears a little bit, type 1 diabetes. Yes. So yes. you are a type 1 diabetic. I am. Now, the only the reason the first time I found this out was because when you were going to be my roommate, <clears throat> your mom actually wanted somebody <laughs> somewhat medical. She was happy that I was going to be there. In case if something happened to you or yeah. whatever else. So tell people about type 1 diabetes, your experience with it, how you found out all that. Awesome. Yeah. So actually, I just had my diversary, if you will. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of our... Uh, over COVID, I was able to join this community of, of other diabetics and, and there are people all across the United That's States. Amazing. And there That's there's amazing. some great friends that I've been able to make. Um, but it's, we, we, you, it's an autoimmune disease. It's nothing based on sugar intake there's nothing that i could have possibly done to stop my body from doing what it did my my immune system attacks the the beta cells in my pancreas and they stopped producing insulin and this happened roughly 20 years ago and like i said uh july 31st was my diagnosis date of 2003 so that's been about 20 years now and that just that just kind of came and went um but just as a, a lighthearted way to kind of remember that I've come such a long way and that I've been able to, you know, deal with this disease for 20 years. We kind of jokingly say, Hey, this is my diversary. This is my diabetes birthday. That's so, awesome. and actually that's one of the tattoos I have. I don't know if we can show them the tat. We can see them. <laughs> uh, this, this blue circle, that's the date I was diagnosed and okay. the international symbol for diabetes is a blue circle. Okay. And, uh, I didn't want just a blue ring on my arm. Uh, so I was like, I went to a tattoo artist down in Auburn and I was like, Hey, can you make this look like someone painted, just took a, a, a splotch of paint, put it on my arm and did one brush stroke. He goes, dude, I got you covered. My thing is, is traditional Japanese ink. And that's like a traditional Japanese style. He's that's like, awesome. give me, give me a month. I will come up with something for you and we'll, we'll get this done. And of course he, he came up with this and I absolutely love it. So it was a cool, cool memorabilia or not memorabilia, a memorable moment, uh, to be able to, I think that was for 18 years of, of diabetes, but it was just kind of like, I've, I've, I've been able to make it eight, 18 years dealing with this disease, uh, a disease of inconvenience, if you will. And I'm still here. I've got a PhD. I'm, it hasn't stopped me from doing anything. So on top one diabetes, you take insulin. Correct. So your pancreas, to explain this in layman terms medically, top two diabetes, a lot of people hear this. Yeah, you know, more that's common. the big one. A lot of people right. don't hear about type one. It's due to sugar intake, due to a lot of different factors, family history, uh, diet, dyslipidemia, yeah. all that stuff. But top one diabetes is actually your immune system, like you said, attacks your pancreas. Mm-hmm. This happens early. I mean, it happens when you're born for most people. And uh, sometimes people don't figure out to really later. I don't know if I told you the story. I, I traveled. Uh, I worked emergency medicine mm-hmm. mainly. And so I was in uh, Montgomery traveling. Okay. And there was an 11-year-old girl. Have you heard of Kuzmal res- respirations? I have not. So when your glucose gets so high and your body becomes acidotic, yeah. um, too acidic, your body, your lungs and your kidneys, there's a lot of things Spilling that try ketones. to get rid of. Yeah. Right. Try to get rid of the acidity. 
So it's just deep, rapid breathings. And it's, I've never been scared much in the medical field. I've dealt with tons of stuff. Oh, but, yeah. but an 11 year old child looking like that, man, it, and she was newly diagnosed diabetes. So hearing that story, how did you find out about type 1 diabetes? How did you find out that you had it? Uh, so like you said, I guess almost just a just a small correction, if you will. It it was called juvenile onset diabetes, but that has okay. been debunked in a way. You can you can get type 1 diabetes from the day you were born right. to I, I know that there are newly diagnosed at age 50. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just a illness of early onset or early juvenile diabetes. It mm. it can it hits a whole range of people, a whole range, demographic, whatever you want to call it. It's not an exclusively juvenile thing, which right. is, is one of the things that they lean into a lot. And I, I've not to not to sound like I'm like harping on people or harping on anyone in the medical field, but it's like sometimes unless you're going to specialize in endocrinology, it's almost like doctors really don't don't care that much about right. type one diabetes. It's mm-hmm. they they learn it when they're in the class because they have to learn it. Right. But outside of that, it's so underrepresented that it's 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 almost a joke. Well I think where top two diabetes is so focused on. Oh, I uh, think that's why. Just research the, money, every yeah. like people pour so much into it. You like right. uh, you can probably sit down right now and make a list of like fifteen or twenty different type two diabetes like what was the one that was the big one? Ozempic or something like oh, that, yeah. that like people were taking to lose weight. Exactly. So it's like you can you can make a list of all of the all of the the interest in type two diabetes and and I it's almost that it's it's easily fixable so it's easily addressed mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of and maybe that's a twisted way of looking at it but uh, there's definitely there's definitely um, research going into type one diabetes don't get me wrong mm-hmm. there's lots of of uh, I, I think a couple of weeks ago they uh, they just produced a insulin pump that acts like it can it can effectively put your like make your blood sugar go up as well as down with insulin so like wow. it's it's they're getting closer to what's called a closed loop system does it have glucagon or something, uh, in there or something i don't like i don't remember what yeah. but it's something similar to glucagon so like mm-hmm. if your blood sugar's dropping it can microdose glucagon to drive it up and then oh too much let's pause on that let's go back to the insulin microdose on on the insulin to drive it back down and you set we'll, we'll say it's 110 to 115 uh, milligrams per deciliter. Right. So you've That's got amazing. that. You've got that range in, and like technologically, there's a lot that they've done in the last ten years that that is just leaps and bounds. It's crazy technology, man. It's making everything a, a lot easier and safer too. Oh, for sure. So type two diabetes. We're talking a lot about this. If you don't have a medical background, type two diabetes can be treated with diet, exercise, pills. Yes, you can even take anti-hyperglycemic uh, drugs. Um. Or insulin. You can take also different types of injections. But type 1 diabetes, your body is not producing insulin. No. You can't take a pill to help it. You can't do all that. You have to actually take insulin in type yes. 1 diabetes. Yes. So do you do injections, insulin pump? What do you use currently? So actually for the first, I want to say, let me rephrase that. For the last nine years, eight years, I have been on a pump. The first 12 years, 11 years, I was MDI or multiple daily injection. Okay. So... It, you can, I mean, some people love to do MDI. Some people love the pump. I had a, the only point in time that I've had a problem where my blood sugar went so low that I was non-responsive and ambulance had to be called happened right. Uh, I want to say like the end of high school. So, or no, actually it was 
Jack, I like right before we graduated from Jacksonville because it was right before I was getting to move to Auburn. And oh, wow. the reason that I, uh, the reason that I ended up going to a pump is because it gave me this like security blanket almost. And the, I've got something called a continuous glucose monitor. Mm-hmm. So like I wear it for 10 days, it tracks my blood sugar every five minutes. It gives a reading and I can share through an app with my parents. So wow. the fact that I even live alone, they can have real time data on what my blood sugar is. And if it happens to tank and for some reason I'm non-responsive, they can either call the ambulance for me or they, a lot of times my dad, and it's funny, my dad will text me or call me and go, Hey, you juicing? And I'll be like, yeah, we're, we're good. I, I have, I have drank some Gatorade and I have uh-huh. eaten some gummies. So it's just an extra layer of security, especially living alone. Like I lived alone in a trailer in Auburn. So right. it was, my mother was a little bit fearful, but I, as any mother would be when their child has type one diabetes and is living on their own. Right. Uh, but it, like I said, it, there's so many advancements with technology that it's just, it's, it's ridiculous to kind of think how archaic it was, it was 10 years ago. You call it an inconvenient disease. Yes. You, you And it, people are like, you have to take insulin multiple times a day. And the, that is somewhat inconvenient for you having done this so long. Do you still feel like it's inconvenient? Or are you used to it? Uh, so you do get used to it, but it is, I mean, it's still an inconvenience because yeah. I, as to where you might be able to go, man, someone just brought me out a whole pizza. I'm going to eat this whole pizza. Right. I have to sit there and do the math. Out. Well, it's like, not it's not even that. Like I could eat it and I would feel like crap a few a few hours later because yeah. my blood sugar was so high if I didn't take take right. stuff for it, uh insulin for it. But, but for the normal person, what I meant pass out, I would if if I didn't have diabetes because like your insulin spikes and it makes you tired and all that. Yeah. Versus you, you're like, Okay, I have to eat this pizza, but then I have to worry about the insulin I'm taking. I gotta make sure it's not gonna over go. I just too have high. to do a little bit more math when I eat. Exactly. Like that's the it's only, all about like, math. It is life. Life is math. Life is math. math. Um, But no, it's I I just have to, you know, take a couple extra steps. There's nothing there. There is nothing that I it is. It has stopped me from doing at all. Mm -hmm. So it's like I said, it's just a little inconvenient because I do have to stop and make sure like I am my own pancreas. So like instead of where your body is, uh, your uh, autonomic nervous system like takes care of all that on on your own. You eat the pizza. You've got gluconeogenesis glycolysis going on in your body right after you take that first bite and your body responds to that and that's how you get your your insulin i that that process i can name it i sound smart but i have no clue what actually it's a lot it's a deep Uh, but um as to where me i have to sit down and go okay my carb ratio is about six to one uh i every every six carbs i take one unit of insulin and then this piece of pizza is roughly 28 carbs per slice mm-hmm. so per each piece 6 12 18 24 30, it's roughly five five carbs uh or five units of insulin that i have to take per unit per piece of pizza so mm-hmm. it's just a little stuff like that it's not it's not like world shattering but yeah. it is it's just a couple extra seconds at the end right. of the day and once again with a pump it makes it so much easier because you instead of having to do that math in your head you literally say all right each one of these pieces of pizza is 25 well i'm gonna eat four pieces 25 50 75 100 you put 100 carbs and it has the math loaded into the pump okay so it, it just says all right you're gonna get x amount of units and then oh your blood sugar's a little high well, we've already got that that thing calculated in there as well. So then you're going to get an extra, you know, three and a half units on top of that to make sure that your blood sugar doesn't continue to go up. It really is amazing, you know, technology, how it's able to do that. To explain that a little bit, 
normally when a normal person eats a piece of pizza, your body releases insulin, right? So when you eat a piece of pizza to break this down, you have to be your own pancreas, so to speak. Yes. And give yourself the insulin your body needs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's pretty much that, man. Thanks for going in depth on that. I hey. think people will enjoy hearing about that for sure. No problem at all. Uh, changing gears. We talked about Christianity a little bit early on, but I want to go back into that. You and I are both Christians, uh, and I wanted to clarify this. Which you were with your parents. You grew up in a Christian household. Mm-hmm. I feel like I did even from birth there. Uh, what was that like? When were you saved? Kind of share your testimony on that, if you will. Uh, yeah, for sure. So in one way, shape, or form of another, my parents have always been in a church, serving in a church. I think my mother was a youth pastor, uh, way back in the wilds of Minnesota before, before my parents met. That's right. I forgot they're from Minnesota. Dad, dad is, dad was born and raised in Minnesota. Mom found her way up there from a little town in Alabama. Uh, they married, had me a year and a half, two years later. I lived up there for two years. We moved back, but mom and dad were both very, very, uh, submerged in in the church uh from at least as long as i can remember mm-hmm. uh and then they we moved down here or my parents moved back down here with me at about two years old because of an illness that my grandfather had uh and they didn't my mom didn't want to be that far away from him so sure. in case he was because they they made all these claims that low oh, he's not gonna he's not gonna be around much longer you might want to come say your goodbyes so a little bit of a hey, we're we're scared. We're going to move back home just so we get that. So to clarify, how long did you live in Minnesota? Two years. I I okay. was two years old when we left. So okay, born there, raised a Southern boy. So got you. So gotcha. I, I have I have both worlds. Luckily, I don't remember the bitter cold that I am so uh, frequently reminded of by my father. I bet you so, are. I bet you are. This so. heat is a little a little different in Alabama for sure. So kind of share your testimony. Uh, you got to Alabama. Where did it go from there at two years uh, old? So once again, it's, it's a little bit hazy, but, uh, I, I, I remember a lot of my parents ended up becoming children's pastors at uh, a small church in Alabama city called cathedral praise. And that was the majority of my, my childhood. I think mm-hmm. until I was, Oh, how old was I? Like seven or eight. Okay. So five, six years of my life, they were doing that. And then um, my dad, my mom and my dad, we all ended up moving to Georgia for a uh, 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 children's pastor position that he got. Uh, he ended up getting at a church in, in Georgia. So we moved there for a few years uh, and they did their, they did their thing there. They, um, uh, once again, we're in ministry full time, and then uh, we ended up moving back to back to Alabama. Which the funny part was is they ended up moving back and then going back to Cathedral of Praise, and then through most of my high school, you know, high school career, uh, they were back at Cathedral of Praise doing children's children's pastoring again. So, okay. uh, like I said, every, at some facet of my life, at every point, they have been full, like really involved in in church ministry and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now they they've kind of stepped back a little bit from the official pastor role, but they do uh, they are very very um, plugged in at Church of the Highlands here in in Gadsden. So that's great. Yeah, Church of the Highlands is a big uh, church community in Gadsden or in Gadsden. It's in Gadsden. But in Alabama, Georgia, uh, if the people that don't know, it's it's a big church community here. So your parents being uh, youth pastors, 
or your dad being a youth pastor. No, right? children's pastor. Children's pastor. Children's pastor. How pastors. was that growing up? Uh, how do you think that shaped you, affected you? What was that like? Uh, it's, it, I, it's pretty great. I There are so many fond memories of of different, like the curriculums that they used and stuff that just randomly pop into my head all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I remember that goofy song that they did to kind of, like if you think about what the goofy song was talking about, the message behind it, it's like, wow, that's that's some like real truth and stuff in that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, oh, it's just like a, a goofy little like ditty bop that you remember. And right. it's just it, it's it's amazing kind of how sometimes like you'll pull things back from your memory. But how even in that. It's almost something that you needed to remember, like God just kind of pulls it. And, and puts it like at the forefront of your mind is like, oh, well, yeah, that was funny. That made me laugh. And then you think about it for a second. You're like, wow, I was actually kind of struggling with something that that had to had to do. Yeah. Had to do with. So anytime they're like turn to a James at church or something, I'm like, I know this little jingle of all the New Testament books. Yep. It's amazing how even young, <clears throat> even when you're young, uh, people just influence you so much. Oh, for you sure. remember stuff from people. Your parents do, but especially people within the church. I think I would um, ask people to really think about that. You know, people, you can even think back to your childhood. There are people that impacted you greatly, older people, people you looked up to and stuff like that. And I think that's so important, um, just like what you were talking about. And then remembering the books of the Bible, like if I didn't have a woman there, uh, you know, as an older lady taught our Sunday school class in third, fourth grade, stuff like that, I wouldn't know that, you know, I wouldn't have remembered that and it wouldn't have went with me into adulthood and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. so very important. Yeah. Um, your walk with Christ specifically, when were you saved? When did that happen? And what has that been like throughout your life? So I really, I don't remember much of a time that I haven't, haven't been saved, been a okay. Christian because like I said, because that was something at the forefront of what my parents did. I was like, yeah, I, I this is what I do. What I, when I think I kind of actually made that choice for myself was while we were in Georgia. Okay. Uh, and it was really, it, it worked out beautifully because actually my dad got to baptize me as his first baptism in Lake Lanier, Georgia. That's so awesome. like, and that, that was one of those things that it, it's, it was really cool how it was like all of these, like it, it was my, my decision. It was his first time baptizing people in like in his, his church career, if you will. Mm-hmm. And just how like all of that kind of culminated into that one spot. Um, but yeah, definitely like early middle school was probably, I think when I, when I kind of was like, yes, this, like I am a Christian. I love Jesus. I want to live my life for Jesus type deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was probably like that, that pivotal moment, if you will, that, that moment of, of, of change. Uh, and then I've just tried to continue. Of course, everyone has their ups and downs, you sure. know, but like I've, I've tried to do my best to, you know, grow in my relationship with God. And it's almost, I, I, th- I think high school is really difficult, especially for, for a relationship. And it's really cool because like we just did 21 days of prayer and stuff right. at, at church of the Highlands. And I'm just looking at all of these high school age students that are showing up to, to prayer at 6 a.m. every morning before they go to school and just mm-hmm. how on fire they are. And I was like, I mean, I remember I loved God, but I don't think I ever was, I, I don't think I ever did that, mm-hmm. you know? And like you, like I would go to these different, uh, oh, what was it? Winter, winter, winter fest is what it was called. It used to be in Thompson Bowling Arena in, in Gatlin, not Gatlinburg, uh, Knoxville. Okay. And it was a big, it was a big church of God, um, uh, like they'd have Jensen Franklin come speak. They'd have a big, uh, 
it's like it's almost like motion from from what they do at uh church of the highlands right. except it was i think it was around the same time possibly a predecessor to that uh but i remember going there and being like yeah this like reignite reignites the fire reignites it all but it was kind of it was very easy to lose some of that at high school and i went to i went to westbrook so i went to a christian school uh but once again it it I think going back to I think high school is a very interesting area uh, for faith and like self identification, exploration, whatever, if you will. Not that I did anything bad or crazy, but like I could definitely look back on that time frame and say I, I definitely could have done more. Sure. So and then I think once again, moving to uh, going to grad school and stuff, I think that also like put me out on a branch and made me stand on faith a little bit more mm. and just seeing how God worked and was able to kind of get, like I told you and alluded to a little bit, how he was able to, in that short time frame, just open all the correct doors and get me to where I needed to be at Auburn. And That's it was right. like, okay, that, that, that happened for a reason. Mm. All right. I think like, uh, let's, let's dig in a little bit more. And then same thing from, from Auburn to Alabama, open doors that was only through him. So mm. Just another level to it. And then now in this season of waiting, looking for a job, it's just kind of digging in deeper and deeper. And it's just it's just so cool to kind of be able to like you it's not comfortable at all to be in the waiting, but being able to look back and say, no matter what happens next, I thank you, God, for what you've brought me through so far and what doors you've opened for me thus far. And I just can't wait to see what's next. That's right. So. Sometimes it's amazing, man, how, like I alluded to earlier, you're, you have so many plans, you know, but God has a greater plan. Yes. You know, and his plan is going to prevail. doesn't matter what you do. And that, to me, a lot of people have anxiety and anxiety is for the future. Depression is for the past. Yes. That's just a, a general statement. But understanding that because God has control of the future, anxiety is gone. There's a hymn about that. I'm kind of drawing a blank. I can't think about that. Um but we can take away our anxiety because it doesn't matter what we do. Yeah. We are told and told by the word to go out and work, do what we're supposed to do, make connections, advance uh, for the glory of God, all that. But his plan is going to prevail regardless of what we do. Uh, that doesn't mean we just sit on our hands and don't do anything. You can definitely make that process a little bit easier. Absolutely. Like, like hearing, Absolutely. hearing being led by the Holy Spirit and stuff. But That's right. Like I, I agree to an extent. You you do. There There is nothing that you can do to screw up God's plan. That's it. Like he, before he knit you together in your mother's womb, he had a plan and a purpose. The plan and purpose came first. You were made second to mm. fill that purpose. So I don't think there's anything that comes along in life that messes up God's plan. Or he's surprised all. by it. No, no, yeah. no, 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 not yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely think that there are choices that because we have free will, there are choices that we can make. There are decisions that we can do. There are careers that we can follow. There are our friends that we can make they're they're just that and the other however you want to look at it right. that that might make that process a little bit bumpier good point but there's nothing that doesn't come from that that god can't say hey i, I got this don't don't worry about it that is a big thing that we have free will but he still knows what we're going to choose oh for sure that, that's for sure. that's a hard concept i think in our minute minds to even understand oh uh, for sure that we have free will but he still knows what's going to happen knows what we're oh, going to yeah. choose already has the path planned out but all to say that takes the anxiety away, man. Um, you know, follow him, uh, let him lead you, guide you, and all that. I want to talk about pain, going through pain for a purpose. That thought kind of came in my mind. Um, you know, God uses everything for good. 
but a lot of people go through things and they're like, God, where are you? Stuff like that. Um, but I think people don't understand everything I've been through in my life. I, you know, a lot about it. We're not going to get into the index yeah. on that, but, um, there was a purpose. There's a purpose. There was growth that occurred. Uh, I needed to grow up. I need to understand about people. I need to love people more. I needed to do certain things. Um, in your life, do you feel like that's happened where you've been through things and you suffered you, stuff has gone wrong and you're like, why is this happening to me? But then looking back retrospectively, you're like, this makes total sense because look at who I am now. Oh, for sure. Discomfort is the best teacher. Right. I mean, like there's, there's no way, shape or form around that. It's, and I don't know how to look at the, like, like kind of speak on this and, and not sound like very pessimistic in it. But at the same time, it's like, well, there was an ideal way and whether or not you made the, and this is putting a lot of, of emphasis on the choices that you make, not, not that that's not, not something that you need to be aware of, but it's, it's almost like, well, okay, you, you did the choices for this. There are natural consequences for that, right? but that doesn't mean that one, going back to what we just talked on, God doesn't have a plan to use it all and that it can't propel you further than where you needed to go in in the long run but there might have been an easier way to get there and because you made those decisions this is just the fruits of that that's so. a beautiful way to describe it i've actually never heard anybody describe it that way but that's a beautiful way to say it for sure but yeah uh going through things you know even when you suffer god uses that for good um people that have a spouse that pass away yeah. stuff like that terrible horrible you can't unless you had that happen you can't even fathom what that's like, but no. there's somebody else that experienced that too. Yeah, there's for somebody sure. else that you can relate to to say, "Hey, look, I got through this. This is what I did. I focused on God. I, I made these changes. I did what I need to do. Um, you know, have a phase of mourning. Of course, that's healthy. Yeah, but you got through it. And and I think people use that, um, and you can use that suffering to help other people. Well, I think that's the beauty in in this. Sorry, I keep I keep fangirling for Highland just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, fangirl. So they, <laughs> they they do a lot of stuff really well, and it's it's structured very beautifully. But that's the beauty in in things like small groups, because Highlands is you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand Alabamians and Georgians, you know, as one conglomerate big C church. Uh, the thing that's really cool is that you then get to take that and and based on where you are in life, you're able to get into a small group, which is a smaller group of people based on something that you like to do. And it's it's a way for you to make relationships and 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 get through those hard times, because uh, one 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 thing that you always kind of hear is like how you're able to take off the mask. Mm. So like I, I can't help you. If you always perceive that you're you're living in perfection, that's right. Does that does that make sense? That's like, right. It, unless you say, "Hey, man, I've man, I, I've been," and this is going to be ridiculous, but I've been I've been struggling with cutting the grass this week, man. You know, mm -hmm. it's just something that I don't really want to do, and I know it's something that I I need to I need to do, but I just really don't want to do it. Well, hey, there's a small group for that, or a small group that at least you can get some sort of connection with people. Hey, man, I struggled with that too. Mm -hmm. I struggle with cutting the grass every week, man. But hey, you want to know what's cool? Let's let's look at it this way. We when I cut the grass, man, I get to put those lines in it, mm -hmm. and that's that's something that it's is exciting for me. But hey, I can also walk alongside you and kind of help you. Well, I know you you don't see the benefit in cutting the grass now, but let's let's figure out our best course of action to kind of live life, do life together, build relationships, strengthen each other, so that we can both cut our grass. You know, a couple of things. Grief demands a witness. 
uh, vulnerability is necessary for relationships. Oh, yeah. And uh, being in small groups, being around people and just being vulnerable. I think that is so common in today's time. We have Instagram, all the social media. Everybody wears a mask. Everybody oh, for does. sure. Nobody wants to be their true self. And it's it's not that they're bad people. I don't think it's anything bad about people, but we're scared. We're scared if we show our true selves. What's the song? Uh, uh, it was in the 90s, came out about, uh, I just want to know who I am. And I don't want the world to see me. But I don't think that they would yeah, understand. I, I know what yeah, you're talking but it's, about. It's that song, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing. I think that we people are scared to show who they really are because mm-hmm. they don't think people would understand them. But when you start to get close to people, develop friendships, especially men with men and stuff like that, you're like, we're all struggling with the same thing. Oh, for One sure. way or another, it's all kind of based around the same concept. Sure. We can all for help sure. each other. And that that I would argue is a it's a key tactic, like isolation. You want to know how to how to take down a prey or you know, a, well, how a gazelle gets taken down? How do they do? How do lions and stuff do that? They isolate one, and then they attack. That's it's, right. They don't go for the whole herd. They exactly. look for the one that's 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 sick or that that might have a a, a hurt hand or a hurt foot. Now I know gazelle don't have hands, but um, you know, like the the hurt one, the one that's lagging behind, and then they they isolate it. That's right. And isolation is is horrible. But I think in our culture, that's almost praised. We're praised that I can let every, I can I can let everybody go, and I can do it all by myself. But that's not what the Bible says. Oh, uh, it's not I, even that. Iron I sharpens would, iron. You know, we're you, supposed to be around each other for sure. And you you say I can do that. I would say no, you can't. Yeah, I would. I would. Ad- adamantly argue that you can't do that. We're not supposed to live off. No, alone. you're not supposed to live alone. You're supposed mm-hmm. to have friendships, godly friendships. Uh, like you said, iron sharpens iron. A cord of a cord of three or a cord of two is stronger than a, a cord of one. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's several like key mark Bible verses for right. that specific thing, and it's just like there there's a reason why isolation is something that doesn't need to happen. And it's because we're, it's where you're your weakest. Yep. It's where you're the easiest to be attacked. I think, especially for me, and I think it's just praised. Like I, I'm tough. I can do it all by myself, but you can't. That's when temptation falls. That's oh, yeah. when all this stuff, you need to be around people holding you accountable. You need a community with other men for oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's very, very important. Talking about different denominations. So this kind of got brought up in my mind. I wrote this down because you are, in a non-denominational church. Now, Correct. you talked about Church of God. I grew up Baptist. Yes. I, I went non-denominational and back Baptist. To me, it's not a big deal as long as God's the focus. You believe Jesus, God's on all that. So what is your opinion on denominations being non-denominational? Is that something big to you? I, I don't think non-denominational is a big, big thing. Right. I think it. You, you can tell what the tree is by its fruit. That's right. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with, you know, looking at a denomination, I think you need to do some homework on some stuff. And there mm. are certain things that, that don't biblically line up like it, it, and I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers in anything, but like, I, I just, just from some thoughts that I, I, I'm, I'm having, you know, of, of certain denominations that at least I'm slightly aware of. It's just like, well, I know, like I can think of one or two things that that doesn't necessarily line up with the, with the, what I think or what, what's laid out in for the church in the Bible. Right. You know, it's, it's, and it's not like there's like this like checklist that you need to walk down, but Mm. I mean, they're very 
prevalent like subject matter that comes up in one and the other one's like, no, we don't believe in that. Right. Well, how can you not? There's like a whole book of the Bible that talks about it. Exactly. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's this pick and choose Christianity in some ways. But like I said, there, I, I think, I think God is able to work in all of these different denominations, different atmospheres. Mm-hmm. But in some ways I almost think it's like you're, you're saying that, I'm going to go to this and I'm going to only believe in these parts of it. And you're almost saying, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to only follow these parts of it. Right. So like you're almost tying one arm behind his back and saying, all right, God, I still want all of your blessings. I still want everything that you're going to give me, exactly. but I don't want to, I don't want to deal with these parts of you. Now, I think the modern day church, a lot of churches sadly have become that, you know, it's all based around, you know, I want to follow certain aspects, but not the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastors now, uh, I go to Meadowbrook now and he delivers a hard, a lot of hard stuff, develops conviction within people and stuff like that. I yeah. think that's great. I don't think a lot of churches have any conviction. It's all kind of a meeting place and you celebrate and do all this stuff. A and social that ha- gathering. And that has its place. Yeah. But also we have times of conviction. There needs to be times of correction. Um, you know, and I think you said, look at the fruit. I think that's a beautiful way to describe it for sure. I, that you can take that from the church level all the way down to the personal level. That's it. So it's, it's, it. a, it's a good litmus test, if you will. Litmus. All about the litmus. All about the uh, litmus. Your parents have involvement with uh, Eagle Rock Ranch. Eagle Rock Is that Ranch. Right? So, yes. uh, so your parents, known them for a good while ever since I've known you, great people. Um, kind of explain their involvement with that, your involvement with that, and uh, overall what their mission is and stuff like that. Located in Gasden, Alabama, is correct, that right? Correct. They they have two campuses. It's it's they're they're slowly but surely growing a little bit. Um, there are also two thrift stores that are uh, associated with it that kind of are were put in place to help uh, bring in a little bit more income so that they can continue to give. I think it's twenty or 25, 20, 25 boys. Uh, from the foster program, live at these places, live at this, both of these homes. And they, uh, my mom is the director. Mm-hmm. So she has, she's a mom to 25 other boys, plus me, plus two of my brothers, which uh, James and Andrew both yeah. were actually, uh, they were there when we first got here and they just, uh, we ended up actually, it was, it was a later in life adoption, but they're actually adopted. They're part of our families. They're, they're my brothers. Uh, I have, they have both have wives, both have two beautiful boys, uh, Cade, Grant, Gabe and Malachi. I love them. They're fantastic. They're, they're balls of energy. Uh, but it's, uh, which that's one of the ways that with, without, without Eagle Rock, they wouldn't be in our life. That's so right. like, it, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing how that, how that came to fruition. And I always joke with Jay, uh, I look at him and I'm like, man, you realize you just kind of started moving stuff over to our house and just <laughs> never left. And he always just looks at me and smiles. He goes, that was the plan. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm glad that was the plan. I like it. That was the uh, plan all along. That's great. <laughs> so, so with their involvement in the thrift store, she, or the uh, Eagle Rock Ranch, she is head of it or how does that work? So she's the director. Okay. It's, it's a little bit different. There's another big, big uh, group home that's in this area. It's Big Oak Boys Ranch. It, they're structured very differently. Big mm. Oak is more, um, I, I want to say it's they have like they have their house parents that are there and then they kind of build build a family under them and they're each family units under this whole whole establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eagle Rock is a little bit different. Um, it is. I know mom's the director and then she has staff that are house parents, but 
Uh, there, there are a couple of house parents that kind of stay there through the week. Uh, and then they have weekend house parents so that those, those, the, the people that are there throughout the week have, have a minute to decompress sure. and, and kind of deal, like deal with their own families. Cause every one of them has their own family. Oh wow. And each one is like, th- that's one thing that wasn't really shied away from is that their families are also part of the family. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how it's kind of blossomed into this, but I, the, I, I think of it as my mom is the mother hen to, you know, 25, 25 other boys. And there are, I've, I've been able to look at them and be like, okay, by way of default, if she's the mother hen, then they are technically all my brothers. Right. So it's, it's, and it's, it's become a little bit more difficult as I've moved away. I don't have quite the, the interaction. And I know, I know quite a few of them. I'm able to interact with them go see them, go help mom do, do different stuff, you know, help them go on. Uh, I get to help them with a a yearly vacation that they do to kind of get them away and, and give them more of the family atmosphere that they're able to take part in. So it's not like, Oh, we just live in a, in a foster home and we don't do anything. We're just here until we age out, but Mm -hmm. they try and make the, make it an actual like family environment. They, they try and, 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 rear them like a a family would like having a mother and a father there and it's it's not set up in that traditional traditional archetype if you will but they there is no doubt that that each one of the people that that are there love what they do and love those boys well that's it that's it that's a that's a big if you're passionate about it you're gonna love doing it for sure and you're gonna do a good job widows and orphans man the bible talks about that i look at people um in churches specifically, you know, God talks about that, Jesus as well. You know, what are you doing for widows and orphans? And I think you're doing a great job. Your parents are with that. That's awesome, man. For sure. For Talking sure. about, you mentioned this, um, having a mother and a father. I've been a huge proponent, you know, it's, it's no um, mistake of the crisis of the lack of fatherhood, I think, in this country, especially in the West. I'm um, going to get a little political here. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but. What do you think is the importance of fatherhood? There's a lot of the single mothers taking care of a multitude of children. You see a lot of problems with that. I think there's a lot of issue with that. What do you think is the importance of fatherhood in a child's life? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I think you, you that is the only portion of the family that is almost lead by example. Mm-hmm. Like you how and I, I can only really talk because I've been so lucky to have both of my parents in the picture, Right. how I've learned a lot of things to be as a man is by seeing my dad do it That's right. and taking that out. Well, I mean, you can learn it all and not saying you can't learn beautiful and wonderful things from having a strong mother. Right. But there's something about having that father figure and having something, someone to model yourself after. And also I think in that, it's it's almost a glimpse of being able to see how god is is a father like it's it's not like my father here on earth is not perfect he, right. he is he has had his fair share of mistakes but he's uh, he's loved me he has provided for me and my mother and he is he has shown me what it is to be a godly man and that is just a glimpse of what i i think god like god looks like as a father that's right the so, compassion the love uh I, I, we don't have children neither of us no, do we do not but i think that is the picture of it uh a father showing that to his son you know what god the father is like to us again our fathers aren't perfect uh but i think that's that's perfect for an example for the father to show their children 
um, of what God is like. You know, the compassion, the love, the mercy that he has on you. Even when you mess up, he still loves you. Oh, yeah. So like that, that I think that's probably the hardest, hardest part to see is that unconditional. Right. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, The unconditional love aspect of that whole thing is Mm -hmm. I you're. You're undoubtedly going to get on your father's nerves at some point or time. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, it's just that's just human nature. But at the same time, being able to know that he didn't leave, he didn't he didn't do something to me. He he loved me and there were repercussions for what I did. Exactly. But at the end of the day, he still loves me. And that just that that minute glimpse to be able to see that and know that, well, if he does that. Just think how much more extravagant that lens is for what God does. Well, God disciplines those he loves. For sure. Know? And I think a sure. father does too. Whenever a father disciplines a son, it's not because he enjoys it. I, I've been whipped. I don't oh, know no. if you were whipped. But oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure my dad wasn't like, yes, I get to spank my son. But he did it because he knew logically, if I show him that this isn't right, um, you know, this is going to help him in the long run. And uh, I actually talked to another guy on the podcast about this, about whipping. Some people call it abuse and stuff like that. I look back on punishment. I look back (laughs) on those moments and I'm so thankful, even though it was painful at the time getting whipped and stuff like that. There was so many times where, you know, I didn't want to be whipped and stuff like that, but I needed it. I needed direction. Oh, yeah. And that kind of guided me and disciplined me to be the man I am today. I really believe. Yeah, for sure. I there are lots of times that I wish I wouldn't have got whipped, but and there were lots of times I tried to shove pillows down my pants to avoid getting whipped. That did not work. Uh, uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, you, you know, you're you're pretty ingenious when when the 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 thought of of doom is upon you. But no, my my parents were very good, and I never like my mom would also my mom would also whip me. Like they mm. were, my parents were very much if you. And there were a few things I, I vaguely remember that my my mother would go, you need to wait until your father gets home. He's going to deal with this. Yeah. And I heard that one a few times. Oh, yeah, I know. But the <laughs> thing is, is like usually like if I did something and it was worth being punished, my mother was going to do like you do the like you call the punishment. You're going to deliver the punishment. You're That's right. you're judge and executioner in this in this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, there are the one or two times where my mom was like, I can't deal with this. You you have you have upset me so bad and they try they never they never uh corrected me out of anger right there was always some sort of a cool down minute because that that's where you get into trouble is like i am so upset but you did this and now i'm going to take care of it and that's that's not a place of correction that's a place of anger and god talks about that. so for sure but it's uh, like i said there were the couple times where i had to i had to soak on it all day and that that was i would have much rather been you know 30 lashes with the belt. Don't let me sit on this all day. Let's just get it out of the way because thinking about what dad's going to do when he comes home, that was far worse than the punishment was itself. And I remember him telling me, he goes, you think you were the only one that was having to sit and think about this and dreading me coming home? He was like, when your mother called me, he was like, not that I would would stew on it all day, but it would make me very uncomfortable for the rest of the day because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to spank you. I didn't want to punish you. But what you did was like there there was correction that needed to be made. Right. So that had to take place. And it just is like, this hurts me as much as it hurts you. Like that was a true statement. And at the time you're like, there ain't no, no there way. Ain't no way this is this hurts <laughs> so you. That's as a much beautiful as it did father, me. man. That's that's beautiful that he can be uh like that with his son. I think that's a beautiful thing. That's For a, sure. that's a good dad, man. For sure. I, I like I said, there there are a lot of things that, that he has never done or that he 
he has done right and he hasn't done right. Mm. But I I don't think there's anything I would I would ab- absolutely change about my childhood that concerning my parents. They right. they have I think done well. I think I've turned out fairly normal. Yeah. Uh, there's a few quirks, but everyone has them. We all got them. <laughs> but they they have done a very good job in raising me, and I I really just taking a second to applaud them for that. So cool, dude. Well, let's switch gears to fitness, man. We both are into fitness. I to tell my story a little bit. 15 years old, man. I had a bunch of drumline buddies: Cody Freeman, Hunter Herring, uh, God Squad, Godline, 2009 Southside Drumline. Uh, shout out. But yeah, I had a couple of guys that were all getting into fitness, doing pull-ups, getting all the ladies. I was like, man. And I was sitting at home eating buffalo chicken dip playing Call of Duty. And I was like, man, something's got to change. I got to do this. So I got in the gym at 15 years old, and this just kind of took off since. Um, Really got into it late in college, early adulthood kind of area. Never competed, never wanted to, but got into powerlifting, et cetera. So fitness in your life, I know you were at the gym a lot of times when I was there as well. Kind of tell me your story and uh, how that unfolded. So actually, my start came from while we were in Georgia. I went to the mecca of football in Georgia as a high school, like middle school, high school, which was called Buford, uh, Buford High School, I guess. Yeah, I've heard of Uh, it. So Mm -hmm. they, uh, I want to think his last name was Walker. He was a running back, like one of the big ones. He was a running back for Notre Dame 10, 15 years ago. Uh, there were several people that uh, ended up being like each year they have two or three D1 commits like this is a this is a powerhouse. And like, I think at one point while I was there, they had like 20, 21 of 24 state championships like in a row. Wow. So like, I mean, they what they were doing was the right stuff. Uh, but they I, I remember we started and even from middle school football we would go over the summer and we would have a a week long like conditioning and lifting and, and how like, old were you at this time oh eight, sixth grade whatever sixth grade is okay know. so about 12 13 12, 14, 12 13 yeah which is and they the thing that was was fantastic was that they showed you how to ollie lift correctly mm. before you ever put uh weights on a bar you were doing reps with a broomstick and if you couldn't do it perfectly with a broomstick, you weren't touching weights. Yeah. And they, oh, they wanted you to move weights, but they were like, we see the value in teaching fundamental movement over ego lifting. Mm-hmm. And that, that set the stage for me pretty early because I learned so much, whether it be from strength and conditioning stuff to how to play football, how to line up correctly, just all of this different, different fundamental knowledge for football from this place and then i got to come back to alabama with that knowledge and it it almost put me at a point where i was just kind of not not to toot my own horn but i felt like i was a little bit like i'd been shown these sure. these things and like we had the we had the facilities to do it there which at westbrook at the time they did not like they had a weight room they had the basics that small you needed, private but school small private yeah. school so you which apparently now I learned that they like just sunk a whole lot of money into that. And I'm like, I got a huge old weight room now. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm really, really jealous yeah. about that. I was like, where was that? You gotta go 15, back, 20 years ago. Go back, show them how stuff. <laughs> but they, uh, it set me up to learn how to lift correctly and not ego lift. And pretty much it gave me my three lifting loves, if you will, it was bench press, uh, back squat, and power cleans like mm-hmm. those are those are my bread and butter those are my wheelhouse like if i can lift more than you in those three i've done a good thing that's awesome that's awesome well you know going to good form man i think a lot of people in today's generation too 
lots of steroid usage. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Uh, lots of gear, stuff like that. Um, but you see a lot of torn ligaments, tendons, all these problems. And it's because a slow growth of weight uh, is not used over time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's great, man. You don't see a lot of that as much anymore. Uh, probably at big facilities like that, you see it. But that's the foundation, man. I feel like I kind of started that way. Uh, started lifting at 15 years old, 16. Guys showing me how to lift correctly, all that less ego lifting uh, and stuff like that. I think that's a great foundation to do mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. Uh, steroids, man. You ever used them? I have not. I'm <laughs> I'm natty. Are you? <laughs> no, I I I love working out, but yeah. I don't I don't love it that much. Like there's there is I, I'm very much about if you're gonna do something, what's your end goal? Why right. are you doing it? And for me. One, it helps keep my blood sugars in check. Two, it's a heck of a stress reliever. Like there is nothing like if you've had something go wrong in the day, there is nothing better down. than than Let power clean power cleaning two hundred and forty five pounds and tossing it down and just letting out a like a, a primal cry. That's, like, right. That's right. You know, I mean it's just like it's just the stress just melts off of you. It is. I think that people see people working out, they don't understand it. Once you get into it and start seeing differences in your body. Oh, for sure. And just the the release, man, it's good. I think we have a release everywhere. Mine is food and fitness. That's mine, man. Hey, everybody's got go. everybody's got their thing. Mine's food and fitness for sure. Um, how do you feel about this younger generation? You know, there's a lot of YouTubers, a lot of people, they admit their stacks. They're talking like, I take trend, uh, insulin even to, cause it's a growth hormone. So uh, talking about that, so, I guess uh, technically if you want to count insulin as a steroid, I do, I do take insulin. You have to gear. I knew so, it. I knew so. it. But yeah. Um, how do you, cause in my generation, I grew up around a lot of guys lifted weights. Uh, a lot of them were on gear. They didn't tell me. And I was like, I'm going to get to where they're at. There was this guy um great guy christian guy anthony was his name i forgot he went to gold's gym back in then uh mm-hmm. he was a really nice guy though but i asked him one day i'm like how what can i do how do i get he's like well you gotta you gotta have your diet in check you gotta do your cart you gotta lift heavy you gotta do all this stuff and i was like i'm gonna do it i can do this i'm gonna do it all the time these people are taking gear and stuff like that um nowadays people are just like here's the gear i take this is what i take this is how i look this way what do you think the differences are there, and how, how? What's your opinion on that? How do you feel about it? I think we are far past the days of, and I'm not. Don't don't fact check me on this, but Arnold, he was he was natty, right? No, he was not natty. Okay, no, I thought. Was, okay, I see. He I was one you. of the first ones, I think, that really got into the space okay. and started doing. I was about it. to say around Arnold. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll I'll rephrase my statement. Sure. Around Arnold is when you stop showing the raw strength of a man, right? And like, That's a good don't, point. don't get me wrong. Like, your physique is a is a huge thing. And if if you're going into these, if you're gonna follow that and and do that professionally, well, that's part of the job now because you can't go in natty and win it anymore. I don't think. No, because you got people. Impossible. It's, it's his name, Jay Cutler. Mm-hmm. He looks like a like he literally looks like the living embodiment of Early a rhino. Tens, yeah, you know, yeah, he, he's, like, he's kind of stopped now, but yeah. but I mean, like, and you can tell Ronnie, how, Ronnie Coleman, Ronnie Coleman, uh, like uh, these guys are are. But and then also the price you pay, Ronnie Coleman, he can barely walk. Yeah, so yeah. it's like you you definitely have to weigh it out, pros and cons. But I. I don't think it's it's necessary. If you can like more power to the guys that can do it natural and look good doing it. And maybe you're not sporting a 40 pack or whatever. Maybe you've only got six or three or whatever. Mm. But I mean, if it's a natural three, natural four, whew, 
Good job. Man. I look at it from a health perspective. It's just not long term. There's a lot of risk, and a lot a lot of people don't know is taking steroids and then coming off of them. High suicide risk, high oh, yeah. increase in depression, all this the stuff. WWE man, people don't know about this. They don't. And, and these kids, you're you're giving this information to kids. Uh, talking, we're not going to talk about a lot of other things that kids are being exposed to nowadays. Oh, for sure, we're going to pass on that. Yeah, but. You know, kids aren't supposed to have this information. No. You know, they they can't decide. This is why you can't smoke till you're 19. This is why you can't drink till you're 21. There's a reason you're not supposed to have this information, but it's just so willingly given to people now. People don't know what they're doing to their bodies long term. Uh, like you said, one thing I want to say, discipline or fitness should be a discipline and not an obsession. I was given a book when I graduated high okay. school and it had that in it. Fitness should be a discipline, well, not yeah, an obsession. It's, it's an auxiliary. It's making you better. It it. And I think the point where it might get a little toxic is when it's why you live. Yeah. Like, and that, that just shows the difference in like stacking things and where they lie on the importance of life. To me, there's like 10 people in the world that need to be on gear. I'm talking the top 10. If you're Mr. Olympia, if you feel like you can be that, then do it. But there's people just for clout, just wanting to be big, wanting to be red. Yeah. Why? And when you stop the drugs, what's your body going to look like? It's exactly. going to deflate and go back down. Why not constantly over time? I worked out for 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, why not just slowly over time build a good physique? Um, I, I don't really understand it. I've just never understood that really. Because we're in a now society. Yeah. Like I want to look this way now. I want to drive this now. I want to see this now. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, uh, that's that. It's just the mentality that we're in as a society, I think. Yeah, delay gratifications. Hey, the no, that ain't a thing anymore. Mm, but not. man, when you when you do kind of wait for that delayed gratification, you get to that point so that you work better. for, oh man, is it worth it? So much better. It really is. Um, but yeah, that's with finance. That's with anything. Um, take time. Set out a plan. 5, 10, 20 year plan. What's your life going to look like and stuff like that? Be disciplined. Not to say people on steroids are not disciplined. No. Not to say it because they are. I mean, you have to be like you mess you up one of those doses, bad things happen. And if you compete now, you have to be on it. Oh, I mean, yeah. Because oh, yeah. everybody's taking it. You know, that's just oh, yeah. the common thing now. But there's a lot of side effects to it. Medically, I've never understood it to take it. I've never done it. Um, to me, I've just never seen a huge upside in it to me. That's me. So just switching a little bit of a year on the on the Mr. Olympia thing, and it just made me think of it. But world's strongest man stuff, yeah. I absolutely like. I eat that up. It's I awesome. love I love watching them because they are not they are they are world class athletes. They are not prime specimens like like you see in a bodybuilding competition. But man, when you can back squat or deadlift, you know, a ton ton and a half, nine hundred pounds. It's mm. ridiculous. Like that. Mm. That is some of the coolest stuff to me. And I just love. Like I think they just did it a like a month or two ago, where they they crowned a new guy. Yeah. Uh, but I some of the stuff you watch and you're just kind of like, man, I'd like to try that. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think I could throw a, a forty five pound kettlebell twenty feet in the air, but you know, it is pretty sweet. <laughs> it is pretty sweet. So cool. Uh, hobbies, man. What do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? Hobbies, man. This is going to sound awful, but I haven't had much of a hobby because I've been grinding at school too much. And yeah. I like work life balance is a is a thing that I have struggled with a lot mm. because it was you need to get all of this done to get out of here in this time frame. And then once you get that, you're like, OK, I can take a breath for a second. And then you start your postdoc, if you will. And then it's like what you were paid to get results mm -hmm. and results are based on what you do. So if you spend more time in there, you get more results. Right. You spend less time, 
you get less results. And I, around the, I want to say the second or third month I was at Alabama, I ended up going to a point where I was like, I, I can't run anymore like this. I need at least a day or right. two or whatever to where I'm not in your twenties anymore. I, I, well, I mean, it's not even that it's like my brain. I like, if I, if I push myself Monday to Saturday every week for 52 weeks, I'm going to either miss something that I need to see or something's going to happen to me. Like you just can't run at that, that high capacity and also running from, you know, nine o'clock in the morning till 9 PM at night. Like that was, that was sometimes a normal day. Like I'd be in, in the lab for 12 hours and it's just like, you need to take a day where one, you can decompress two. Like I, I don't do anything on Sundays. That's my Sabbath. I I take a day, I rest, I try Mm. and make sure that my mind is ready to start the next week. Mm. So, um, and then just Saturday at that point is just to make sure that I, I can kind of decompress for a day and, and get everything out, watch a little football, not have to deal with anything, but what's the score, Sure, you know? So it's, it's that, it's that decompress that's, that's so key, but really, I guess, like you said, I, I, I do play Xbox a little mm. bit. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gamer. Drop the uh, gamer tag. Oh gosh. No, no, <laughs> no, we're not, we're not that type of gamer. We are a casual gamer with family. Gotcha. Uh, we, uh, I'll play call of duty with my uncles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, that's, that's how I've kept in contact with my family in Minnesota. Great. Like it's, it's a way. And that's how I always convinced my, my dad to buy me Xbox live. Uh, I was like, Hey man, it's, it's family building. Come on, help me right. buy it. This is family time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that has helped a lot. Um, it's allowed me to kind of keep, even though we're on opposite ends of the country to be able to have contact with my uncles who I love dearly, but mm-hmm. it's difficult to do when you live in Alabama and they live in Minnesota. It is. Let me say this, you know, it's important to balance, uh, life. Um, you said the Sabbath, you know, taking off on the Sabbath, even God rested God worked six days and he rested one day. Yep. I think as a man, I'm guilty of this. We want to work. We want to keep doing, we want to keep, you can get a little bit more done in that extra day. Exactly. Or there's like an extra hour. I could, I could squeeze this in. I can do this when really you just need to rest, meditate, relax, take a nap. Even I I don't take naps, dude. I I just keep going. And I think that's really important for a man to do. You got to rest, man. You got, there's times where you just got to say, Hey, this is going to be for tomorrow. Cause you're going to run yourself in the ground eventually. So five, 10, 20 years. Uh, let's talk about the plan in the future. Five years from now, where do you see yourself, man? Uh, hopefully in my adult job, uh, that's no, that's the, that's the game plan. I, like I said, I'm in the process of looking for a job. Uh, I've sent out many, many applications. I actually was blessed to have a, an interview, uh, at Oak Ridge national lab a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, jury's still out on that one. We'll see. We'll national see what comes lab. National lab. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a, it's a big step up. Um, that's the PhD talking right there. That is the PhD talking. Um, I, we're. Five years is definitely to be in my career somewhere, and and mm. hopefully I I would love to be at the point where I'm at least either considering or starting a family. Right, ten so, years, ten what years, ten years from now, forty one years old. That's crazy, old, man. That's crazy. Definitely, definitely be in a family. Yeah, definitely have my family established. Um, sure, you know, few youngins, mm-hmm. couple youngins, maybe not a few. Uh, but uh you know, starting, definitely starting out with my family. Cause I, I know I, my, my mother absolutely loves her grandchildren that she has now, but she is 
hounded me. She's ready for me to give her give her one from our line. Uh, so that 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 is what she is is hoping, praying, praying for. So I I'm wanting to to uh, deliver on that that end of the deal. How many kids, boy, girl? What you want? Uh, so ideally three. I think okay. I think I I'm a, I'm a three three kidder. Um, definitely a boy first. Awesome. Either boy, girl, boy, or boy, boy, girl. Mm. However, I, I have this theory and I can't prove it, but one of the chemicals that I had to work with in, uh, in grad school is, is considered a mutagen, but it's a mutagen in the way where when you tend to work with it, it tends to only make you produce girls. Wow. Because there were two or three professors at the university that all they worked with it and all they ever had, they had like two or three girls each. Oh, wow. And I was like, I maybe, maybe I could be the first or I guess the second uh, natural born or female Heedy. Maybe. So. Cool. That's cool. I think, I, man, I always said it's two. Uh, I always said two, like two boys maybe or something, but I'm thinking about three now, man. I don't know. But time will tell. 20 years from now, 51 years old. Whew. That seems like a lifetime from now, but you know, I does. feel like we're going to blink and then it's going to be here. It, it uh, what do you think 20 years from now? Where will you be? 20 years from now, definitely established in my career, where, wherever that may be. Um, but, you know, just, you know, doing well, sowing seed, you know, getting ready to, hopefully getting ready to retire at some point, you know, That's 50s, because what's retirement age is like 63. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 10 more years on the end of that, making sure everything's nice neat and buttoned up so i can be a start looking at being a wonderful grandparent at that point that's right that's right awesome man yeah i don't know where 20 years i'm gonna be man but uh hopefully ceo of some major fortune 500 hey for sure like that. maybe so, that nobel prize will be around nobel prize you know whatever we'll we'll get some stuff done anyway ethan thanks for coming in dude oh thank you for having me man. in the description below i'm gonna put eagle rocks info Awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna put that in the description below if you're for interested sure. i'll put that on the uh online the audio uh, and on here on YouTube, um, on the podcast space, we'll put that. If you're interested, if you want to support, uh, if you want to help out, just check it out. The link to that will be in the description. We'll get that on there. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you guys for watching the Better Man Podcast. I am Dr. Jared Nelson. Uh, we hope you have a good time. If you're on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe on the podcast. Helps a ton. If you are on Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever you are that we're going to be posting these videos, give us a five-star review. We want the five stars because we give five-star service. Thanks so much for watching. Until next time, peace. Peace.